This past Thanksgiving, I had my first Black Friday experience. I never shopped on Black Friday for discounts, but our TV was uh, going south. And so I was watching the deals in the paper, and I saw a TV at Walmart for like 200 So that, that's, that's a deal. So we went down to visit Lori's uh, parents, and we're coming back on Thursday night about 8 o'clock. And we went by Walmart, and I said, no, I don't want to stay up all night. So we went home. I went to bed. About 11.30, I, I woke up. I said, I think I could get that TV. So I got dressed, and I drove down to Walmart. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, the whole parking lot was full. I've never seen Walmart so busy. Here's a picture of uh, just inside. And it was just crawling with people. So I went and I got my ticket for the TV. Then I waited two to get the arm or the wristband, that is. And then I had to wait to five to actually buy the TV. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And so at midnight and at 5 a.m., what they would do is they would have these pallets out with the deals that they had publicized. And they would rip open the pallets at the designated time. And as you see in the next piece, picture here people were just mad they were frenzy around uh, getting uh, these deals it was you should just go sometime but go to walmart no waiting outside for me i'm never doing that unless it's a really good deal but uh again i went down to kohl's check that out toys r us that was a zoo i couldn't believe how long the line was and then at target they were waiting outside it was so cold I eventually got back at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. I got back to bed, and I paid for it for the next several days. I was wiped out, but I'm glad that I had that experience. How many Black Friday shoppers out there? I saw a few of people from our family out there, yeah. So it was fun. Uh, but I paid a price for it. And the question I have for you today is, what are you paying a price for? What are you paying a price for in your life? What do you really want? And more importantly, is what you want, what God wants for you. We're going through a series, the treasure principle. It's a principle found many times in Scripture, as you'll see today. This book is by Randy Elkhorn, and he does a great job unpacking this principle, and this is a supplement to our series, so we encourage you to buy a book out here just for five dollars it's a great read very inspiring and we've been encouraging you to read it as you prepare for the messages for our last message next week I encourage you to read chapters five and six let's take out the word of god and we're going to look at the area of wanting more the area of materialism overcoming materialism first of all we're going to look at the problem with materialism. What is materialism? I would simply define it. Materialism is worshiping stuff. Materialism is worshiping stuff. What does it mean to worship something? Well, it means to depend on that for satisfaction. Worship means to depend on something for satisfaction in life. Now, God has put us together in such a way that the only thing that will truly satisfy is himself. 
So that's the only thing we should worship. We should worship God. We should give our lives to Him. We should live in obedience to Him. That's what worship truly is all about. But we as sinful people, our eyes so easily drift off to other areas, and we worship other things. We can worship a lot of different stuff. We can worship relationships. You can worship your spouse. Now, one thing I want to clarify here before we get into this, we're never pure worshipers. We're not at 100% in worshiping God. We're always getting off track here and, and there. Uh, and sometimes we'll, we'll float to one area and worship something for a while, and we'll float to another area and worship something uh, for a while. But we always have to come back to God because if we're off track, we're in sin. But So what I'm trying to say is that you might worship different things at different times and might not even realize it. But when you're depending on that for satisfaction, so let's say you worship your spouse, and that means you're giving money, time, and mind energy to your spouse. And you're depending on that for satisfaction. I know some of you women are saying, I'd like to be worshipped for a day. <laughs> Just notice me, hello. <laughs> All right? Uh, you can worship your kids. You can spend your money, time, and, and mind energy on them, parting them everywhere, satisfying their every whim, because you're trying to derive the satisfaction that you should be deriving from God. Now, none of these things are necessarily wrong, inherently wrong, but when you worship them, they become a sinful activity. Uh, you can worship, obviously, uh, your stuff, your money, which buys stuff. And that's what we want to focus on today. You can worship your house. Ladies, that might be a tendency to worship your house and decorating your house and keeping your house just the way you want it. Uh, you can worship a car. Guys might focus a little more on that, having the right kind of car, getting that dream car. You can worship your toys, uh, your electronics, that can be something uh, that can be one of the most important things to you in life. In fact, one of the ways that you can determine where your weakness might be is what is your favorite store? I'm going to list four stores, and I want you to choose one, if you can. And I'm going to have you tell me what your favorite store is. Huh? We're going to mention Home Depot. Home Depot, for the men out there. You're going to mention Best Buy. Best Buy. Bed Bath and Beyond and Kohl's, okay? How many love Home Depot, your favorite store out there? Okay, Home Depot. All right, how about Best Buy? I'm there, okay? <laughs> how about Kohl's? All right, how about Bed Bath & Beyond? All right. Well, you look at what you want most, right? What really gets you going, and that might be a weakness where you might be depending on satisfaction, depending on satisfaction in that particular area. Luke 12, 15 sums this up so well. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus Christ says, Hey, I want to get your attention here. Watch out. Be on your guard. You've got to be careful here. Greed is a very insidious type of thing. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right there. 2,000 years ago, they struggled with that. They thought, hey, life is all about possessions. We still struggle with it today. Our culture would say man's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions. It just 
is not true. Greed is something that's hard to get your, your mind around in terms of identifying it in your own life. We can look at our lives and say, yeah, I struggle with lust. I struggle with anger. I struggle with selfishness. But how often do you say, I struggle with greed? When's the last time somebody came up to you and said, could you pray for me? I'm just so greedy. <laughs> no, you don't hear that very often, right? We tend to cover up greed, and we can't even see it in ourselves. I'm careful with my money. I'm, I'm a saver, and look at all the deals that I got. And uh, greed can sometimes be mixed in there. That's why Jesus Christ says, watch out. It's sneaky, and I won't get a hold of you. But we want to look at a passage that Randy Elkhorn studies in his book, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 15. If you could open your Bibles to that passage in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 through 15. Just to give a little background on this, this book was written by Solomon. You remember Solomon? God said, hey, anything you want. Solomon said, wisdom. God was so impressed with that answer, he gave him everything. Now, you would think a guy who has all the wisdom that God gave him would live an exemplary life for God. Now, he was sinful, too, and he got off track. There were so many temptations, and his life ended in a great disappointment. He was not close to God. He was worshiping other gods. So it's interesting to read Solomon's writings. There's great wisdom there, but in Ecclesiastes, he goes on this grand experiment. He says, I'm going to try everything this world has to offer. I'm going to follow the desires of my heart. I'm going to fulfill every desire and see if anything satisfies. And the conclusion that he comes up with is nothing satisfies. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. If you're going to love money, if you're going to love wealth, if you're going to worship it, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to have enough. Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve both God and money. They're diametrically opposed. We studied this verse earlier this month. Now, you can serve God one day and serve money the next, but you can't serve both of them at the same time. Many other people have spoken to the emptiness of wealth. John D. Rockefeller, a very wealthy man, said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford, the automaker, said, I was happier being a mechanic. My wife and I, for our 22nd anniversary, went downtown last month to see Jerry Seinfeld in concert, and uh, we just love him. <laughs> so much as humor, and it's a great show to go to if you like Jerry Seinfeld. Great humor, relatively clean. And I love one of the jokes where he says that he's sitting watching the TV with a beverage, and all of a sudden an ad comes on the TV for this particular beverage, and he's looking at these people who are drinking the same beverage that he's drinking, and they are partying, they're in the pool, they're all beautiful people. They're having the time of their lives. And, and he looks at his surroundings and looks at his beverage. 
and says, maybe I should have added ice. <laughs> you see, the world throws all this advertising at us. $3 million for 30 seconds for a Super Bowl ad this year. They pay all kinds of money to these very creative people to create dissatisfaction in our hearts. You will not be satisfied until you buy this product. You will not be satisfied until you experience this particular experience. And it's all a lie. Because satisfaction can only be found in God. And what we need to realize here is that this is Satan's world. This is his world system. And he knows how to get us away from worshiping God. And especially here in the United States, this, I think, is the most materialistic country on earth. It's so much part of our value system, our DNA. It's seen in the media. It's seen in relationships. It's seen in what people talk about. It's just who we are. So therefore, now, now everybody struggles with this around the world. All Christians do. But we really have a challenge to overcome because it's so much a part of our everyday life and the people we interact with and the messages that come our way. That's why we need to work so hard in this to become God-focused instead of stuff-focused. Well, we move on. He talks about materialism and possessions, and he says possessions are short-lived and their satisfaction, Ecclesiastes 5.11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. That's true of the United States, right? We have all kinds of goods. We have all kinds of wealth. So everybody's going to be consuming them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes upon them? That's very telling. That's what we love to do. We love to feast our eyes on the stuff. That we buy. I want to give you a very simple illustration. Every year, one of my favorite things to do is to go out and buy a new pair of slippers. Okay? I check all the stores because I'm always looking for a better slipper. And this year, after years, I think I've found the best. These are uh, Dr. Scholl's Memory Fit insoles. This remembers what your foot is light. Okay? <laughs> when I found these, I thought, I found something special. And so I went home, and I was so forward to getting these on my feet. And I went up to my wife and said, Lori, look what I found. <laughs> you know, I said, look at these slippers. Yeah, whatever, Dan, that's fine. How much they cost, yeah, that kind of stuff. And, and I went to my boys, and I said, guys, have you seen my new slippers? And they probably think, this guy really is an old man now. We can officially call him our old man. And uh, a couple weeks after, I got a spot on my slipper, and I saw it, and I said, that can't be. i got to get that spot off. I don't care for my clothes like that. And, and so you know, I took it, and I, you know, they're still looking pretty well, but I was noticing, you know, it's kind of falling apart in the back. And But still, I enjoy these slippers. But the initial buzz was like, really, Ooh, yeah, this is great. Now, I, I still get excited about them and to some degree, but in two months they'll be in the back of my closet, and I'll try to get the buzz again next year. Isn't that what materialism is? It's just buzz after buzz after buzz, thinking that the buzz is going to last, and it never does last. Addiction is never going to fill 
your need. It's only through God that you can get that satisfaction because that's the way God put us together. A great exercise for you to teach your kids this is take them out to a junkyard. I went to a junkyard a couple years ago in Bensonville looking for a part for my car, and I was walking through this place, and it was just kind of fascinating. And they were really trashed. I mean, they still had parts on them, but some were just not worth anything. And uh, I thought about it, and I said, each of these vehicles in this yard at some point was out, were on the showroom floor. They were shiny, and people looked at them, and they paid major dollars to buy them. And they had a huge buzz about having this new vehicle. And if they could only see it now, it's trash. It's trash. And, and friends, everything you own in life, everything you value, is going to be trash someday. It's going to be trash. Now, when you start thinking like that, that's going to help, help you to have that eternal mindset that we talked about last week. Hey, stuff on earth, it doesn't amount to much. We need to put our priorities where they belong. Another thing Solomon says about extra possessions, or possessions that is, that extra possessions waste time. They waste time. He says the sleep of a laborer is uh, sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. So what we're saying here is that a guy who's out there working day by day, whether he eats little or much, he's not wealthy, but he's working every day. He's at peace to some degree. But the abundance, the person who has a lot of resources, permits him no sleep. Why? Because he's taken care of all of his stuff. I mean, it takes time taking care of your stuff, right? Taking care of your house, how much time do you put into that? Taking care of your car, how much money do you put in to that? Taking care of another house, taking care of two cars, taking care of everything. You ever heard of such a thing as a free dog? There is no such thing as a free dog. Once you receive that free dog, they're going to eat you alive financially <laughs> we have two dogs and because of my wife we have two dogs they're her children we have three boys and two dogs and hey she's awesome whatever you want babe and uh, so we have these dogs and you know vaccinations and protect them from mosquitoes all this medication and these huge bags of dog food we have to buy in the bones or they'll chew up everything else. And, you know, one dog is getting old, Sadie, a golden lab. And my wife says it's be, she barks a lot. I mean, she barks incessantly. She barks a lot because she's feeling insecure as she grows older. Whatever. All right? I want the dog to stop barking. I don't care. It's about its emotional health. So I get this bark collar. And I'm putting it together with my son, Wesley, who's 18. And, and I say, okay, well, let's see if this thing works. So I put it around my neck. <laughs> it works. 
if you get a barking human, it works. My son really took me to town on that one. But, uh, yeah, I tell you, anything we own is going to take time. And here, here's the thing I want you to understand. He said, the more stuff you buy, the more time, energy, and resources you're going to give to it. And the more it's going to take you away from what God wants you to experience in this life. And that's a relationship with him and relationships with other people. So many families have so much stuff, they don't have time to spend with one another. How crazy is that? Hey, reduce what you have and take that time to spend with one another. I think of my dad, 85. Lives out in Rockford where I grew up, same house where I grew up. I visited him on Friday. And he has a very simple life. Simple house, simple furnishings, simple car, and he's happy. It's like going back to the 1950s when I go there, you know? And it's like uh, one of my sons asked, uh, does Dad have Wi-Fi? <laughs> Grandpa have Wi-Fi? And I just burst out laughing. He never owned a computer. Why is it that we think the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be? It just isn't the case. So, extra possessions waste time. Psalm also says the love of possessions harm you. That can be dangerous. Verse 13 of chapter 5. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Well, how can that take place? Well, look at Proverbs 15, 27. A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. A greedy man. Man, I want to talk to you. We can easily fall into workaholism. There's so much stress on performing at our jobs. Our self-esteem is wrapped up in it. And I, I struggle with this, and I'm doing much better. But when I was first married to Lori, I, I really struggled with it. And uh, she would speak truth into my life. And I call that nagging. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking about. And of course, I had a great reason. Hey, I'm helping people come to Jesus and helping people grow in their relationship with God. But uh, I was sinning against her. And thankfully, God got a hold of me. And I tell you what, it's a lot easier to let your wife get a hold of you than God get a hold of you. I'll just let you know that right now. So listen to your wife before God has to do his work. And uh, he really helped me to change. And obviously something I still struggle with. But, uh, yeah, I just want to warn, especially you younger guys, or gung-ho and want to move up and take the world, um, you can pay a very heavy price. I'm glad that God caught me early because if he wouldn't have, and I would have missed my kid's childhood and uh, not met the needs of my wife. And uh, just be very careful, guys. You can give all the reasons why you're working so hard. And sometimes it's just greed. Sometimes you just want, want more money more money and you think that's going to be the answer it's making you happy now because you think you have a future and you think you're going to make it and whatever's going through your head but get some help you know talk to a small group leader talk to me whoever and say Dan that's where I'm at uh, get it corrected now get back on track where God wants you to live because you don't want to pay the price for that type of sin Another way 
that we can be harmed uh, through wealth is envy. Ecclesiastes 4.4. 4. And I saw that all labor and all achievement sprang from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Envy. It's very common in a materialistic society. We see everybody else having this cool stuff and going to these cool places. And they say, why not me? It's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? You keep up, you keep up, and finally, you know, you feel like you're even with them. And then they refinance the house and they take a second mortgage out. <laughs> they take off very financially unhealthy. But at the same time, you're never gonna you're never gonna win this game. You gotta stop it. You gotta stop comparing and be content with what you have. Now, that's difficult, but that's what God asks us to do. So I'd encourage you to go home today if you struggle with this. Maybe you're competing with a family member and the resources they have, or maybe you're competing with a neighbor or a particular friend. So what you need to do is go home and download one of these certificate templates off the Internet, like a college degree, all the you know, scrolly stuff around the side. And, and, and again, in a, in a beautiful font, write winner of the stuff game. In big letters, winner of the stuff game. And then put that person's name down. You're the winner. Put the date down. You sign it. Have somebody else sign it. And then bring it to this person. Now, maybe you don't go that far. But <laughs> what you do is you frame it and put that on your wall. Or you put it someplace where you can see it. And see, I give up. I'm not, I'm not going to keep chasing all these people or this particular person. It's not about stuff. It's about my relationship with God. Another envy issue we can have is Galatians 5.26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We need to be really careful in how we talk about the stuff we have and the experiences uh, we have. Sometimes you can share what's going on in your life in a way saying, hey, my life is going great. We bought this car. We're moving into this house. We went on this vacation. Nothing wrong with sharing that, but sometimes your motivation can be kind of to impress people. And what that can do maybe with another Christ follower is you can provoke them to envy. They're saying, wow, things are going pretty well for them. Well, I'm struggling here. Well, I'm unemployed. Well, I'm in debt, whatever the case might be. So we need to be careful. It's okay to talk about what's going on in your life and how God blesses you, but watch out for your motivation because you don't want to harm others. Possessions can harm us and others. Possessions also don't provide security. Ecclesiastes 5.14. Or wealth loss through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. We've talked about this many times. You can't put your confidence in the world's wealth. But people do that. That's another motive for materialism. And it said, if I just get enough money in the bank account, have the right type of investments, I can take care of myself. That's materialism. That's not putting your security in Jesus Christ. That's putting the security in what you can do. Well, as we talked about before, the last couple of years have uh, been a wake-up call for a lot of people and a lot of Christ followers to stop trusting in yourself 
for your financial security. It's scary. A lot of people put their security, their financial retirement, in the lottery. That's their plan. That's their only plan. With the lottery, the chances are 70 million to one more likely to be struck by lightning. And it's interesting. They've studied lottery winners, and they find that when these people have an incredible windfall of wealth into their lives, it really can be ruinous to them because they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with the other members of their family who want a piece of the pie. In fact, one-third of all lottery winners file bankruptcy. One-third. What does that say? It says that they have the wrong idea of how to handle money. They're certainly probably not focusing upon the Lord if that brought that into their life. Another thing about possessions, you can't take them with you. Ecclesiastes 5.15, Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. I like that. You can't carry anything into eternity. You've been working for 50 years. You've been slaving. You've got wealth. You've got other resources. But you can't put anything in your hand and bring it with you. Which brings us back to the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, so send it on ahead. Matthew 6, 20 again. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. you got to send it on ahead. We talked last week about living for the line instead of the dot. Remember, the ball was a dot. We focus all of our time and energy and resources on this world, on this dot, when we're going to be living for eternity. We need to wake up every day and say, okay, what am I going to do that's going to impact eternity? How am I going to live for God today? That's where my investment needs to take place. We come to our January memory verse, Matthew six twenty-one. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I encourage you to memorize these verses along with us. Let's say it together, Matthew 6, 21. Say it with me, loud. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure follows your heart. So get your heart in the right place, focused on Jesus, and everything else will follow. Well, that's the nature of materialism. Let's talk about the antidote to materialism. This is how you fight back. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 6 where we spent a lot of time during this series. But seek first his kingdom, this is verse 31, and these things will be given to you as well. So you need to focus on Jesus like we talked about last week. Our position is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is seated next to the Father in the heavenly throne room. That's our positional place our locations here on earth but we really live in heaven because we're in jesus christ and therefore we're citizens of heaven and we live for eternity we have eyes on eternity we need to continue to remind ourselves that life on earth is short and we need to use every moment that we can for him seek first his kingdom worship god follow after him for satisfaction, and you will find it. And it says, 
And these things will be given to you as well. That doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. You're going to have all kinds of problems and challenges. But God is going to be there for you. He's going to meet your needs. He goes on, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. What were they afraid of? I don't have enough clothes. I don't have food, right? Don't be worried about that. Your Father owns everything. He can take care of your needs. And in Luke 12, 33, we see the antidote to materialism. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the antidote to materialism? Give. Give, give, give. Every time you give, the grip of materialism on your life loosens. Give some more. It loosens. Why is that? Well, it's because when you're materialistic, you're trusting in yourself. But the more you give away, you're trusting in Christ for your financial security, for what you depend upon for satisfaction. So the more you give away, the more you're like Jesus Christ, the more you're trusting in Him, and the more satisfaction you're going to have. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Have you done that? Have I done that? I go to garage sales once in a while when I'm looking for particular items. And I've never seen a classified ad that lists everything that's at the garage sale. And at the end it says all proceeds will go to some organization that helps the poor. Let's use an example of the Salvation Army. All proceeds will go to the Salvation Army. Now I know that there's a lot of garage sales out there like that and rummage sales, but I just have never seen it in a classified ad. So I challenge any of you who feel led by the Holy Spirit to do that this year. Put it in the classified. Have a big sign out front that says all proceeds go to the Salvation Army. And just see what happens. See the attitude of people that come. They're not trying to, to bargain with you, right? They'll probably give more than what you asked for. <laughs> it's the nature of giving. Or maybe you want to do something right away. Go home and find a possession that you own Sell it on eBay, and in the notes say, hey, any resources or any uh, money I receive from this sale goes to whatever organization. Do it! Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Now, ladies, have you ever had a purse for 15 years that hasn't worn out or that doesn't look brand new after 15 years? Where can you find that kind of purse? Only in heaven, <laughs> right? No, they won't wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasure follows the heart. We need to give if we're going to battle materialism. Let's go to another verse we've referenced quite a bit, First Timothy six seventeen through 19. Command who, those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Same type of principles here. Don't be arrogant. Don't be confident in yourself. Don't put your hope in wealth. That's so uncertain. Put your hope in God. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he wants to provide things for your enjoyment. He's not trying to make you uh, just suffer through life because you don't have anything that you can enjoy. But command those who are rich. That's you and I. We're rich, right? We talked about that. We live in the United States here. Average income, $61,000. Watching a news report about China this past week. Majority of Chinese people earn $2 a day. Earn less than $1,000. So I'd say we have some extra. The problem is that we get more money. We think, oh, I've got to have this. And so what we do is we raise our standard of living when we receive more resources from whatever source. And it's not really what we need, but it's like an artificial need. Other people have that. This is the way life should be. So we raise it up. Instead of asking, okay, God, you've given me more. So what do you want me to do with it? Have you ever asked that question? When you got a bonus, when you got a raise, that's something to think through. Yeah, God gives us extra stuff in order to be able to give more. We look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and be willing to share. That's what we're to do with the stuff that God gives us, the resources. We're to do good. We're to go out every day looking for good deeds to do in the name of Jesus Christ. We're to be generous. We're to give away to loosen the grips of materialism. And we are to share. Remember kindergarten, right? What do they teach you? You've got to share. You've got to share. Some of us are so old and we still don't get it. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I don't want to share. <laughs> I want it for myself. That's the way to really live. Verse 29, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of Life, that is truly life. That's a very powerful statement right there. Do you want life? Do you want a quality of life that God wants for you? Life that is truly life, not an artificial type of life that this world offers, that Satan continues to feed you, thinking, hey, this is going to make you happy, and all these different things that you can buy and that you can do. This is going to be the life that is truly life. That's a lie. It's a lie from the mouth of Satan. Life that is truly life is when you focus your eyes on Christ, when you live for Him. He lives through you, and you do good deeds, and you're generous, and you share. And if you live that type of lifestyle, the grip of materialism is not going to be on your life. We look at an example of what we're talking about here in Second Corinthians 8, 3 through 5. Last year, we went through a series in Philippians and saw how wonderfully they gave to Paul. They gave a gift to him while I was in prison in Rome under house arrest, given through Epaphroditus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to challenge the people of Corinth to have a heart for giving. So he uses the church at Philippi, the Macedonian churches, he calls them. There are several churches that were like this. He says about them, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They were very poor. But they gave, and they gave even more. 
entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now, usually it's the other way around. You're getting all kinds of letters. You come to church, and people are saying, hey, give. But they're saying, hey, we want to give. Please, we're begging you, Paul. Give us another opportunity. Tell us who else we can help. Those are people who are not in the grip of materialism. They're living the way God wants them to live. They're giving and giving. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Focus on Jesus. And then to us in keeping with God's will. Beautiful example, huh? Now, this is where the challenge comes in with uh, to the people of Corinth, verse 7. He says, but just as you excel, Corinthians, in everything, hey, you guys are doing a great job in a lot of areas, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, way to go. You're doing well. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Kind of weak in this area. You got to work on it, okay? I've given you the example of the Macedonian churches. You need to be like them. You need to be like them. I'm reminded of a story, old illustration about Paul Harvey. Uh, Paul Harvey tells the story that is of a woman who calls the Butterball hotline, and this woman has a turkey. She has a question about. What's the question? Well, the true story. The question is, I've got this 23-year-old turkey. Can I still eat it? (laughs) The woman on the other line says, well, if it's been kept frozen below zero for 23 years, you can still eat it, but it's not going to be very tasty. The woman says, I'll just donate it to the church. Sadly, some of you have that type of attitude toward God and giving. Just giving the leftovers. Giving whatever I have, Lord, whatever I can kind of give to you as a token gift. God's not first in your life. You're not a giving person. You're not investing resources in eternity. And that's sin. You need to repent of that sin. I know it's hard to hear, but you need to hear it. Because, again, it's not about the money. It's about your heart. That's what God's concerned about, your heart. And he knows that when you give from your heart, you're going to have a much richer relationship with him, and you're going to loosen that grip of materialism. There's great joy in giving. And I know some of you are saying, well, Dan, you don't know my financial situation. I know... Some of you are in extreme situations with unemployment and debt and things of that nature. That's why I'm so thrilled that we have Financial Peace University coming up. It's a 13-week class. And uh, Mark Valadez, raise your hand, Mark. He's our leader, and he's going to be leading that. How many, when is that going to start, friend? Sometime in March, okay? I know finances can be a real hassle. And I tell you what, people who have gone through this particular class just rave about uh, what they learned. Dave Ramsey, you've probably heard his name before. It's his program, and Mark does, Mark does a great job of facilitating that. So 
I know it's so challenging, guys. It's so challenging. But sign up for financial peace when it comes around. And if you really take that seriously and study it, then God can help you greatly. Finally, we see that giving is an act of worship in Philippians 4.18. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Again, we studied this verse. The people at Philippi sent a gift to Paul while he was in jail. And what did he say about it? What a beautiful way to worship. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Friends, every time you give to the Lord, every time you give, if this is your home church, and and you give to the ministry, God's ministry here at Springbrook, it's an act of worship if, if you give it with the right motive. And the way you give, obviously, is you give first to God because He's a provider of everything. I encourage you to, to give a tithe of your income to the Lord. And show Him, Lord, You are the provider of everything. And I just want to recognize that. When I give my paycheck, I'm going to pay you first. Because you told me to. To give to you. And then I'll manage the rest on your behalf. And I tell you what, again, if you want to loosen that grip on materialism, be more like Jesus Christ. You need to give faithfully. You need to obey Him. You need to give with joy. And again, it's not easy to do. You really need to commit this to prayer and say, Jesus, help me. You know, I don't know how I'm going to do that because I'm not there right now. But if you keep praying about it, if you keep letting the Holy Spirit work through your life, it will happen if you commit yourself Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the principles that are found here. We get so easily caught up with the grip of materialism in our lives here in the U.S. And we need to hear this. We need to hear truth. Thank you that we've had this opportunity to study it today. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, we've got some next steps for you. If you could take out your communication slip at this time, and if you feel so led, write down one of these letters. All I have to do is write down the letter. We always want to encourage you to leave here pumped up about the week and wanting to get to know God's Word better, wanting to engage in your Christian life more. So, read the Treasure Principle, chapters 5 and 6, as we get ready for next week. Uh, meditate on a medit. Meditate on message scripture passages. So take the green sheet home, all the scriptures that we went over, most of them, and just meditate on one or two of them. And ask the Lord to speak to you. Sign up for a small group. Boy, I tell you, I am so pumped up about our L12 series. It's going to be starting in February. We're going to be studying Romans 12 and what true spirituality is according to Jesus Christ. So we're looking forward to that. So sign up for a small group. Please, open enrollment starts today. Get engaged. Go on the Internet. Talk at, stop at the uh, small groups table. I do a first serve in the host ministry. Bill Zaletti, why don't you come up here? Uh, we have first serves here at Springbrook, which means that if you're interested in checking out a ministry, you can sign up for it, and uh, you can just do it one time. You're not committed for life, but you can see if you like it or not. And Bill has been very involved in our host ministry. Over the years, what do you love about ministry, Bill? 
Well, in the host ministry, one of the things that I really enjoy is the relationships. Uh, Mary, Mary and I uh, uh, serve on the team in the host ministry here well, once a month, um, and we really enjoy that. We enjoy meeting the people as they come in, uh, and we enjoy working with them. We've met a lot of good people as a result of uh, doing that. Wonderful. Now tell us, what's involved in the host ministry? What do you guys do? Well, uh, what we do is greet. When people walk in the door, you see us out there greeting everyone, welcoming them to the service, uh, thanking them for coming. Uh, and then we come in and you see us, uh, sometimes we usher on the, on the larger services. And then most of the time we're involved in the collection process, the, uh, the offerings. Um, so that's okay. what we do. All right. So first servant involved, people just explain that. Well, the, um, uh, if you would like to, to serve with us, we ask you to come and do one, one time with us and check out the first serve and find out how you like it. If you like it and you enjoy it, and so far we found most people do, then we ask you to join one of our teams and to be a, a regular host minister. And it's a great entry-level type of ministry. Uh, if you're new to Springbrook and you just want to kind of get your feet wet, it's a great thing to do. It's got, like being an usher at the Cubs game. I mean... You have to do some type of thing. You have to work, but you can watch the Cubs game at the same time. <laughs> okay. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to miss the, miss the service. Well, you can be a host and still enjoy uh, the service. So I encourage you to write a host team down in the back of your uh, communication card or put a big, big D down, and uh, we'll follow up with you. Thanks so much for your service, Bill. You're a blessing, my friend. Thank you. Let's thank Bill. If we can have our ushers come forward at this time. Hey, if you haven't heard the good news, we had a $30,000 goal for our year-end offering. Money is going to Belize uh, for a new van for our missionaries down there, as well as money for a, a Christian boys' school, as well as hurricane repair. And then also for our home makeover, beautifying our atrium and children's area to make it more appealing to especially unbelievers. Uh, that come to our church. Our goal was 30,000, and we're at 35 right now, huh? Let's praise the Lord for that. Now, we have this week and next week left for you to give to this offering. I think it would be really cool if we made it to 40, personally, because, again, just over half of the people at Springbrook have given. We still have the other half that can give. So if you haven't given, please give. Please make an investment. Please you know, let that rip of materialism loosen up as you give to God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for our generous people here. Thank you for their heart for you. And I pray, Lord, that our, mar our lives would be marked with generosity. In Christ's name, amen.